Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Schreiber. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to the Tennis Podcast. Well, hello, folks, and welcome to the U.S. Open, the actual U.S. Open from on-site at Flushing Meadows. Catherine, Matt, and myself sitting around a table in the media media area for the first time talking on a podcast, Catherine, in three years. So I think the last time we were here was just after Rafael Nadal's victory over Daniel Medvedev, that incredible five-set classic recorded here with music all around. How's it feel to be back? Yes, balls being thwacked in the background. We're about 10 metres away from the practice courts and about 5 metres away from the scene of a selfie we took with then-student Matt in 2017, Matt. That's right, yeah. I wasn't allowed on this side of the fence back Mm, then. We had to to cross the fence for the selfie. Uh, But here we all are on the right side of the fence and... uh, it's very special. Yeah, it is. What, what, what are your early impressions of the behind-the-scenes here, Matt, of just going in the media centre and wandering in places you weren't allowed to go sort of five years ago? Yeah, no, it's been great, finding my bearings. Very cool that it's the Bud Collins Media Centre. Um, I feel like that is so fitting. I think it was named after him in 2015. Um, and, yeah, I mean, lots of the media centres are quite similar at the slams. You know, you have your desk and you have your screen. Um yeah, no, it's, it's, it's been really special to finally be backstage here, so to speak. Yeah, it sure has. And it has for me. I mean, I've been going here for 20 years and it still feels like a buzz anyway. But I, as I said the other day, just having not been here for a couple of years, it's definitely elevated the whole feel to me. And, and I can't wait for the fortnight to get started. We're, we're coming to you on Sunday. So it's Sunday afternoon. Uh, the qualifying has all been done. We were at it on Friday, the day after we recorded in Manhattan on Thursday, and then we also attended Media Day, where all the players come in for their press conferences, so we'll be able to tell you all about that. Um, The main draw matches start tomorrow as we are talking to you. We've got the most incredible couple of days order of play. I mean, it really is something else to, to, to look at it all as it's laid out, and that's even in the absence of big names you know if you think back a couple of years ago Roger Federer would have been playing and Novak Djokovic is not here and yet you look at the order of play it looks fantastic there's so many stories to look forward to before we get into the chat about all of that we have some thrilling news I think and something that I think 
you are all going to be very excited about as well, particularly those of you that are friends of the Tennis Podcast, because the Tennis Podcast during the US Open is going to be brought to you in association with AO Travel, who provide the Australian Open experience the easy way. And we have a competition from AO Travel for one of you to win a pair of uh, packages with their services to go to the Australian Open. Now, the uh, AO Travel allow you to create your own package of tickets for the days and sessions and courts of your choosing at the 2023 Australian Open. They'll take care of your flights, accommodation, tickets, even premium experiences such as wine tasting, behind-the-scenes tours, and there's even a, a Rod Laver Arena walk-on experience. If you want to go and have a look what they've got to offer, go to ozopentravel.com. They've got details of how to get the best of all of it, the best tennis, the best of what Melbourne has to offer. It's all in one place. I mean... I can't wait to go to that as well. <laughs> I haven't even got through the US <laughs> Open yet. Now, this competition we've got, one lucky friend of the tennis podcast is going to win a pair of AO travel packages to go to the Australian Open in January. The winner will receive an array of tickets over the middle weekend of the Australian Open, January 20th to the 23rd. For two people, accommodation included, two return economy flights, and a premium experience included to complete the most fantastic package i can't imagine how much i would want to win that if i wasn't already going to be going um but anyway what you need to do is be a friend of the tennis podcast before the competition closes on september the 16th click on the link in our newsletter which is going to be going out uh tomorrow as we come to you or anytime during the the fortnight to fill out the entry form if you're already a friend and don't get the newsletter for whatever reason sort yourselves out uh but secondly um you can email us at friends at tennispodcast.net we'll send you the link to enter if you're not a friend and you want to become one to gain access to all of our bonus podcasts and we've produced more than 20 of them this year so far including the tracy austin story and jimmy connor's uh 1991 our relived episodes recorded just over the last few days and get access to this competition the link to become a friend is in our show notes how about that for a prize catherine that sound you can hear is every single member of the Whitaker family clamouring to get on their laptop and enter that competition. <laughs> it is amazing. Don't, don't worry, if, if a Whitaker family member comes out of the hat, I rather suspect the name will be redrawn. <laughs> it will. That we're going back into the hat. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, Mr and Mrs Whitaker, it's not allowed. Uh, but it's going to be hugely exciting so thank you to AO Travel for making that available to us and we'll tell you a little bit more about uh, the competition and what they have to offer over the course of the fortnight now Friday was quite a day here at the US Open Catherine the first time we we got on site uh, for this tournament we spent that lovely day on Thursday in the centre of Manhattan going to that lovely hangout that you found for us having having confessions and things like that that Matt discovered on the uh, the cocktail menu but what was Friday like? We were in Brighton early, and you seemed to spend a long, long time in the media interview room. Yeah, all day, pretty much, or about about five hours of it. The, the climate in the media centre could not be more contrasting to the actual outdoor climate. It's, it's 81 degrees uh, right now and about 112% humidity which is exactly what it was on Friday and then the media centre which don't get me wrong I'm, I'm grateful for almost all of the time is essentially a sort of fridge freezer a really large fridge freezer they, they can't seem to get the middle ground there is no middle ground at all and it does mean that when you, you're 
sticky and sweaty and revolting and you first step step inside you get that wonderful moment of relief and it's almost worth shivering for five hours in the press conference room um for, for that one moment um but yeah it was a long haul it was a, a conveyor belt of great tennis players with some with some pretty interesting things to say and that actually strikes me Matt I mean I was there for the first three players that came in before I went out and started to to watch some of the qualifying matches that we'll talk about a little bit later it felt like players really did have something to say on Friday it felt a bit more substantial certainly the part of the day that I was in than maybe some of the other media days that I've been at we had a really good media day at Roland Garros didn't we but then we felt Wimbledon was perhaps a little bit flatter I think Wimbledon Mm. was was awkward wasn't it because of not having ranking points and because of the Russian ban and that really dominated media day and players only had so much that they wanted to say on the subject I suppose whereas here I think um, obviously everyone pretty much was being asked about Serena Williams and they all had pretty amazing things to say about her I felt and then the balls were a big topic of conversation pretty much everyone being asked about the tennis balls and then just this tournament which does feel really really open and i think genuinely everyone who is coming into media day and those are you know those tend to be the big names i think they probably all feel they've got a shot at winning this title and that sort of makes it kind of exciting you want to hear what everyone has to say because it feels like there's so many contenders yeah um start with Serena Williams and and she was one of the ones that didn't come into the interview room now obviously everybody would have wanted to speak to her but she's not a seeded player and I think basically the rules are if you're not a what is it top a seeded player top eight eight player you don't actually have to come in and talk to the media and I I can understand I suppose why she's really not that keen after 24 years of, of doing this and this being probably her final tournament but it did mean, Catherine, we, we've often witnessed press conferences where somebody comes in and they've got an agenda, they've got a story they want to write about a particular issue and they ask every player about it. I don't think I've ever seen a day that has been quite as dominated, though, by one subject that isn't the player they're talking to as Friday. Yeah, it felt like Serena Williams was at Media Day, yeah. e- even though she wasn't uh, at Media Day. Um, yeah, at one point I, I had a, a question for Frigga Schiontek about uh, Serena Williams and it came off the back of several previous questions about Serena so I couched it and said, look, I'm sorry because I always feel sorry for players when they're being asked about not themselves yeah. you know, when they're being used as a quote about something else I think, you know, one question like that is, is okay but when it becomes a sort of relentless drilling out sometimes it's necessary journalistically but I just feel for the player in that scenario so I said look I'm I'm sorry to ask you another one about Serena but I wanted to check on what she'd said in uh, either Cincinnati or, or Toronto about never having had the courage to say hello to her, never having spoken to Serena Williams, the current world number one, I found that extraordinary um, update she still hasn't um, <laughs> she never but it, it, to her. no, never wow. spoken to her, she said she's still working up the courage, I said well, good luck. The window's closing. <laughs> um, I'm sure Serena would love to meet. Uh, but well. I, I, anyway, I, I couched the question in, you know, sorry to ask another one about Serena, and she went, "Oh God, no! Don't worry, I'll, I'll answer." You know, it's a joy. And that, that's been Pretty a much. theme, hasn't it? Everybody mm. has responded very well to it. Oh, more, more than very well. It's almost like a, a clamour. Who can say the best? 
most fitting thing about how incredible Serena Williams is and and what they've meant meant to her. I, I wasn't at Naomi Osaka's press conference because she was delayed. She was yes yesterday, and I was busy pretending I was Carrie Bradshaw yesterday and attending Harry Styles concerts. Um, uh, but I was there for Coco Goff's press conference and on Friday for me she won the award for for having the most perfect fitting things to say about Serena Williams. First of all she told a story about how the first time she met Serena which was when she played her body double of her younger self in a Delta Airlines commercial way way back in the day which I think you said never made it to air never made it to air <laughs> oh what a great story I mean somebody needs to unearth that footage imagine <laughs> shooting a commercial with Serena Williams that never makes it to air anyway um, yeah Coco Goff played her her stunt double um, and she got a photo with her which she said she said I'm sure Serena doesn't remember this but I certainly do and she said her mum dug up that photo the other day and sent it through to her again internet get your act together we need to see that photo um, so she told that story <laughs> yeah, internet. which, which uh, lit up the room and then she just talked so brilliantly about how you know Coco Goff is 18 and she said growing up as a aspiring tennis player for her pretty much the entire time on and off the best player in the world looked like her was a black woman and for that reason she never felt different she never felt like she didn't belong in that world and that's just it in a nutshell isn't it how things have changed because we know exactly how different Serena and Venus felt and have felt for their entire career and and what they have gone through in that regard has made it different for those I mean still work to do obviously but made it different for those coming behind and to already have that legacy in action before our eyes is is pretty special yeah it is um we haven't spoken to serena as we said i haven't actually seen her personally practice in the last couple of days since i've been here but we've heard all these people talking about her we've heard i've read so many stories about her because she gets her her us open underway on monday night it's the seven o'clock match i was reading in the new york times today that tickets in, in the nosebleed seats, a uh, story written by Jesus Jimenez, uh, we're going for $200 in the nosebleed seats, and in the middle sections, $1,000, and in the lower sections, $4,000 if you want to see Serena Williams uh, tomorrow night in, in person. It's a, it's a huge deal. How do you feel, how do you both feel, as we stand right now, about how she's going to fare in that match? Do you, do you think... I mean, do you, do you have a feeling towards that? Do you, or, or is it just impossible to really say I'm going to defer to Matt on this because Matt experienced Arthur Ashe Stadium on Friday not for the first time but sort of for for the first time from a particular viewpoint and perhaps got a tiny tiny taster of what Danka Kovanic is going to experience tomorrow night about against Serena Williams I, I think on purely tennis terms I would back almost anyone against Serena at the moment quite honestly I don't think the tennis is there but there's a lot more to it than that there is it's, it's, it's going to be so much about the occasion I think I, I almost think it won't feel like a normal tennis match and what Catherine is referring to is she said a couple of days ago I'm going to take you somewhere cool 
I thought, great, I'm coming. This is Catherine, not Serena. Absolutely, this okay. is Catherine. And <laughs> that somewhere cool was right to the top of the Arthur Ashe Stadium, above the back row seat, you know, as high as you can get. Where in, the snipers stand. Court. Yes. <laughs> they weren't there at the time. It's a bit but... disconcerting. <laughs> yeah, I was told to make the most of it then when there weren't snipers around. Um, and honestly, as, as Catherine said, I hadn't, hadn't been in that stadium for five years and it shocked me again just how big it is, how intimidating it is. And that was with all the seats empty, you know. It's going to be rammed on Monday night. It is going to be feverish. And I just think that Danka Komenich might have the tennis to beat Serena Williams, but it's going to be about handling that occasion. And is, is Danka Komenich the sort of person who's going to embrace being the one to end Serena Williams' career? I, I truly don't really know enough about Danka Komenich to be able to say, but... The sort of comparison in my mind was Roberta Vinci in 2015 played that role so well when Serena was going for the calendar The iconic calendar finger to the ear. Finger to the ear, orchestrating the crowd. And Yeah, I mean, if, if Serena had drawn Elise Corne, who uh, Emma Adekanu has obviously drawn and will be playing uh, on Tuesday night, weren't she, on um, Armstrong Stadium, actually. I mean, she, I mean... I can't think of anyone who will love the opportunity more of knocking out the famous Emma Raducanu. <laughs> and I mean, it could go the other way. The, the, the occasion could get to Serena. You know, she, mm. it, it might be a really uncomfortable occasion for her as well. And she might not play her best tennis that she's capable of. I, I sort of have this feeling that Serena's going to win. But I don't know. I'm basing that off very little logic really well I, I did my predictions today and I, I've got Serena in the quarterfinals have you <laughs> yes I have I do you think that is bonkers <laughs> yes come but, on David also only picked seven men's quarterfinalists <laughs> yeah so I don't, don't know what happened there <laughs> I'm sure I'd got everybody but anyway I'm sure it'll work out in the end and, and of course the big Serena news since we last did a podcast is that she's been confirmed as accepting a wild card into the doubles with Venus and yes, that please. was just the most brilliant news it I was, think. Yeah. Mm. Because and, and actually hot off the press I've got their draw Oh, it's just popped in my email they're playing Linda Noskova and oh. Lucy Hodetska we know Linda round. Noskova yeah, we do from French Open right mm. junior champion Huge last hitter. year and she played Raducanu in the first round this year she was and in qualifying she was in the final qualified. round of qualifying she has yeah, yeah. Um, but I mean look I don't know what Noskova's like as a as a doubles player but Radetzka's really good mm. isn't she mm. um, but then Serena and Venus are one of the great doubles teams that we've had in the last 20 years uh, I'd I w- love them to put that on Ash I wonder what that means for the the, the cake situation <laughs> Where, do you have two cakes do you, do you no have two I, think, I think it's about her retiring from tennis right not retiring from singles so I think the cake has to come after if she loses on Monday night no cake because she'll be back on Ash I mean you have to put that on Ash if it's potentially Serena, possibly even Venus 2's last ever tennis match, you have to put that on Ash. Um, and the cake comes for Serena's last tennis match, I think. 
so hold the cake, folks. <laughs> or just divert the cake. More cake please. Divert the cake to the media centre. Yeah, oh yeah, that's not a problem. <laughs> right here, in fact, on this table that we sit in at the uh, outside the media centre, right next to the practice courts with the, the, the sounds of the planes going overhead from LaGuardia Airport. Oh, I've missed these sounds. <laughs> um, we, we started with um, talking about Iga Sviantep because she was the first one in to the interview room. How did you come out feeling about her prospects and what, and what you heard from her, Catherine, during the course of that press conference? Because it was quite an interesting one, I thought. Yeah, we were both in there together, weren't we? And we both um, asked a question of her. I came out feeling, for the first time at a Grand Slam since Australia, that she wasn't my favourite for the title. I came out thinking I'm probably not going to pick Iga Sviantek to win this title I don't think she's liable to have a disaster she just didn't fill me with confidence I, she didn't say this explicitly but I don't think she likes New York, I think she is a very positive person and is trying to adapt because champions adjust and embrace New York and um, it sounds like she's having some success with that but it definitely does not suit her personality she was this was in response to your question david i thought she was pretty clear about that, that small, small doses it's yeah She'd she said she said yeah yeah, yeah I, I like it it's cool could not live here <laughs> um yeah and she said that very clearly didn't yeah. she um i get the yeah i don't think she's hugely comfortable and i think i think people that tend to win here love it here yeah are really in win because of new york not in spite of new york and she's not having these tennis balls man no she hates them doesn't she she really does hate them um the fact that they get lighter very quickly i think is is her issue with them uh you know they play differently after three games to after one game uh and we've seen that you know in the way she's been playing this this hard-court swing, she has struggled for control, I think, of the ball. Um, and it's in her head, clearly. So all, all of that, and combined with what you're saying about New York, and that is such an interesting element to this tournament. You know, I think we go through Roland Garros and Wimbledon, and the sort of unique challenge there is the surface, isn't it? It's Can a player adapt to the surface here? It's a hard-court. Most people are fine on a hard-court, but it's all the it's the buzz, it's New York, it's the humidity, all of that is sort of the challenge of playing here and there are lots of examples, the one that always comes to mind is Simone Halep, you know, she has she has had runs here but really it's been her, it's been her worst slam and I don't think she loves New York and the buzz in a similar way to Sviantec so putting all of that together I don't come out of Igor Sviantec's press conference thinking she's going to win the title I'm probably going to be picking someone else here to win it, I think. But then, just at the back of my mind, I have how good she was at the start of the <laughs> she, season. And she I can't is take... the best player. She is, yeah, if she yeah, plays well. She is. And, and the, th- the funny thing is, I came out from the press conference feeling the same as you, Catherine. Um, and I thought, well, A, you've got to love the place, not feel like that. And, and secondly, 
you've got to stop whinging about the balls, whether you're right or not. I mean, I think it's a perfectly legitimate complaint, and I think it's one that, that she intends to follow up, actually, and, and try to get some material change to this. And f- for a start, men and women are playing with different balls. She, she just doesn't get it, and, and I, I can understand why. But I think a better mindset for your hopes would be to just not be worrying about the blooming balls. Just play the, play the shots uh, when, you, when mm. you get here. Having said all of which... I picked her to win the title in my predictions. After all that, I don't quite know how that happened, but it did. Hmm. <laughs> she she was asked what she's reading at the moment, and she's she's got two books on the go. One is Memoirs of a Geisha, and the other is something by Brene Brown, um, who's a sort of uh, high profile life coach. So. Uh, read into that what you will about her mental state at the moment and she also said that actually she confused me because she said that she didn't think there was coaching at the Grand Slam she was asked about coaching and she said oh we don't have it at the Grand Slams and of course that has always been true but the US Open this year are trialling off-court coaching kind of weird that the world number one didn't seem to know that she said you can't hear them anyway yeah and frankly when you've got these planes going over it's it's hardly surprising (laughs) i i think i love new york so much that i could be a contender here (laughs) your game that's if that's the magic ingredient your game might elevate so (laughs) much yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) well the presenting will be off the charts good i can tell you that she'll be on amazon prime video every day um, go on, Matt. I was going to say, I quite enjoyed um, Elena Rabatkina's comment about the balls. I mean, she had lots to say generally, but her attitude was, well, there's way more important stuff than that. <laughs> <laughs> why, are we, why are we talking so much about the balls? Some, some suit some players, some suit others. Kind of get on with it. Yeah, I asked her that question, and she wasn't having it at all, <laughs> was she? I mean, she was actually... That's the most interesting press conference I've heard her give. What was the gist of what she had to say? Because she was... She took me by surprise with how punchy she was. She came in and there was no hedging about the subject she was talking about. She was straight in there to tell us what she thought and she wanted to get it out. Well, she said she doesn't feel like a Wimbledon champion was the line that she gave based on um, some of the things that have happened in terms of her being scheduled on court four when she played Garbine Muguruza and the fact that she didn't get all her ranking points. She was really critical of these decisions. Um, I mean, I must say, there was, a, there was a certain irony to the fact that, you know, if, had she not won Wimbledon, I don't think she would have been doing a press conference at the US Open. So, you know, she, she did have that platform to speak because she won Wimbledon, I think. But I enjoyed how, how punchy she was. And it's, it's hard to disagree with what she was saying, to be honest. I... I didn't agree with the decision to take away ranking points and her match against Muguruza on court four. Yeah, you can you can certainly question that in one mm. of her first tournaments back after just winning Wimbledon. Yeah, I kept waiting for the moment where she would sort of go, you know, oh, okay, better probably should should stop saying slightly controversial things now because, you know, I'd, I, I, I don't want the hassle, you know, I want to be able to just focus on my tennis, but... You know, she wasn't she wasn't holding back, was she? She was quite happy to answer, speak as much as she wanted to about you know these topics that that obviously are bugging her at the moment. And it occurred to me, you know, how much 
she must have been holding back at Wimbledon because the ranking point stuff maybe she was so much in a in a mental focus bubble that it wasn't but you know it made me think maybe she, maybe she was was hyper aware of all the line of questioning that she was persistently getting at Wimbledon about her nationality and anything that she'd have said there about ranking points would have been pretty quotable I mm. think and put in a very particular context and she obviously well I I think it seems clear now that she was careful to avoid that as yeah. far as possible because she had things to say yesterday a bit scary for her and I would imagine as well once you've won Wimbledon and you get a time to just think about things you start to work out the things that you don't feel are quite right that mm. I'm not having, not having that and I want to tell you mm. that I don't agree with it and I, I was pleased really that she got that out and and gave a voice to that subject which a lot of players would steer away from for fear of you know in might, might sort of compromise endorsements or somebody might not like it behind the scenes you know well no this is what she felt and this is what she said um, so what else from media day Matt and who came in and who was speaking what, what else caught your eye well sticking with the women uh, Asaka came in yesterday so we weren't actually on site for that but just catching up on her transcript she also had great things to say about Serena um, she said that she's been trying to think of how to describe Serena and I can really imagine Asaka you know wanting to get that description absolutely right and she she said she's the biggest force in the sport um, and that you know she said I wouldn't be here without Serena Venus her whole family I'm a product of what she's done and I think you know those are those are remarkable words wow. on on her actual form she said I could lie to you and say that I'm really relaxed but actually I was practicing and I was really anxious I, I so want to do well in this tournament she said but she hasn't got the form at the moment and I think she is sort of putting a bit of pressure on herself to do well and you know it's always well it's often been a place where she's played really well she's won it she's won the tournament twice and she thinks of this in Australia as really her time to shine in the slams on the hard courts and she's got a first round opponent in Danielle Collins who is not going to give you any any room to sort of work your way in you know she, she's going to be up on the service line returning serves and being aggressive and making her presence felt and just uncomfortable first round match for Osaka and she actually beat Collins earlier this year in, in Miami so she said in a way it's better to play someone whose game you're familiar with but gosh I mean I do feel like if Osaka can win that I agree Iga Svantec is is the best player in the tournament I still think Naomi Osaka's peak level on a hard court is the best in the draw probably but I just don't know whether she's going to be able to find it there, there are real question marks over over her at the moment yeah no, absolutely. Any, anybody else that, that really struck you? I mean, Emma Adekana came in, didn't she, uh, on uh, on Friday? I wasn't in that press conference, but you were, Catherine. Yeah, no big surprises. She, she'd had a practice session earlier that day uh, with her coach, her trial coach, Dmitry Tursunov, that, uh, and the Crooks of Press Association had uh, been present at and reported that, that Radicanu had been a bit distressed during, during that that practice clearly something wasn't quite right and she was asked about that and she she didn't say it was nothing but she played down 
the drama or the significance of it. She did hint at um, still suffering from blisters, which is a real concern, I think. Um, I don't understand enough about the body to know why that's still happening and to know how much of a, a worry it is. You know, in Australia, it made total sense to me why that was happening. She had, she'd never been on tour before. She'd never played week in week out tennis at certainly not at this level pretty much at any level she didn't play an awful lot of juniors it was all interrupted by a pandemic all of that um so it made sense to me in australia i mean she still played relatively little tennis so maybe maybe it is understandable but i, I don't know it's a worry it's a worry because you can't you know she, she had to develop a slice forehand in australia when she was being troubled by blisters so, look, I think we we said a lot about the Elise Cornet matchup, didn't we, on, in our draw show, and everything that I said still stands. It's been scheduled on Lewis Armstrong Stadium on uh, on Tuesday night. Which, when I look at the schedule, I can't see a match that I think. Well, why is that on Ash and Emma Raducanu not? I don't have any issue with the matches that are scheduled on Ash. You know, you, it, you, it could... But I, but equally, I, I don't feel great about the fact that Emma Raducanu is starting her title defence on Lewis Armstrong. I would prefer to see her start it on Ash. So so that is, is what it is. God, I've watched too much Love Island. Um, <laughs> the only other thing she said that was perhaps noteworthy was um, a flippant comment about the term defending a title. Now, I think personally she was referring to the language here. She said, oh, that's just a creation of the media, this concept of defending a title, which probably got some backs up in the media because it's not a creation. Defending a title does exist, but I do. I was thinking about it philosophically in the on the bus today, having philosophical thoughts on a on a bus, um, and I do understand and it taking issue with the with the language of defending. It suggests that there's nothing, nothing sort of proactive, no, nothing to be gained, yeah. if you like. Um, it's turning a negative into a positive or positive yeah, into a negative I, and, thing. And, you know, it? that's what tennis players have to do, isn't it? You know, play mental tricks on themselves. But I, it probably got some backs up, that that throwaway line from, from Adekani. I, I mean, I think, generally speaking, I, I was at the... Uh, we had a media dinner last night with Tennis Australia, a really nice evening. and um, But the, there's, there's inevitably a lot of chat about Emma Adekani because what an extraordinary thing happened a year ago. And... And there was in the UK, and I think globally, but certainly in the UK and with the public and with the media, universal joy at what she she accomplished and an amazement. And there was not a word of negativity spoken about it. And the media, particularly in the UK, we find ourselves in a in a, a pretty extreme position of having our own views about where she is with her game, and 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 mine certainly are that she has a couple of years as a free hit now and I don't really care about her results I just think she should she can develop and we'll see where where she ends up but the the more general broad view of things here is that that's not good enough you can't give her all that time you have to judge you have to cover because she's such big news that she 
whether she wins or loses on Tuesday night, she's going to be the, the lead story. And you can't just have a footnote of, oh, she's still very early in her career, this is absolutely fine. That's not enough. And it's very difficult for the journalists, who I think probably share a lot of what I feel about it, um, and yet they have to make sure they they cover it in a way that their bosses want to and do a, do a proper analysis of every match and all that kind of thing. Well, it's nuance, isn't it? Yes. Nuance is everything. You can say, let's say she loses to Elise Cornet. It, you can say that's really disappointing, but you also need to put in the context of who Elise Cornet is and where Emma Raducanu is in her career. And you can say, yeah, it's... Mm. It doesn't have. It can be disappointing without being a catastrophe. Yeah, Elise Corne, who is finally breaking the record for the most consecutive majors played on the women's side. She's finally got there. This is her sixty-third in a row, overtaking uh, Sugiyama, and um, you know, just the nature of that record is a slog to get there, isn't it? But I, I find it amazing how she's really embraced it and wanted to play them all. yeah, yeah, she's so experienced, so hard to beat. As you said, if, if Raducanu does lose that, sure, it's disappointing, but it's not really a bad loss. No, it's um, going to be fascinating. I don't, I don't think we're going to get jobs as sexy clickbait headline writers anytime <laughs> soon, Matt. I mean, <laughs> it does sort of mirror something Raducanu said about... I can't quite remember what the question was. Kind of like what's been the biggest change over the last year. And mm. she said there's so many people around and she's used to having privacy before and that's kind of the same with her results now you know before people wouldn't take notice if she did lose and now even if she does lose to a great opponent it's a it's a big deal and that I can I can see how you know that sort of off-court experience is sort of mirrored on court a bit for her as well I'll move on from Raducanu in a second just just wanted to tell you a, a quote that I read today in the New York Times from Mary Pierce after she won her first major title and it, it really struck me as something that here's somebody who was in that position in her own way okay people knew more about her but she really sort of sums up what what it must be like she says winning your first grand slam completely changes your life it's now commercials and photo shoots and tv shows and events that you weren't doing before and are now taking your time and energy away from training and resting it can also be emotionally draining and you need that energy and that focus and concentration to compete plus now where everybody's recognizing you wherever you go watching everything you do and you're just not used to that so you have to adapt just feeling the expectations and pressure with everyone expecting you to play well and to win every time which is not humanly possible we're not machines we're not robots and and i think yeah it's it's only something radicano and anybody else in that position can work their way through by doing it i i, mm. I think really i also just i mean i that's her experience and and that's a completely valid take but I, it does just make me anxious hearing references to photo shoots and endorsements and stuff because i I am deeply uncomfortable with a lot of the chat of that nature around Emma Raducanu because you just don't hear it around male players that that shoot to stardom and win title and also sign big endorsement deals. Yeah, you know, when, when, when Daniil Medvedev um, had his run here in 2019 and he, st- he suddenly became a real commercial entity, didn't he? And there was, I can't remember what magazine it was, maybe GQ, something like that. He suddenly, it was that front cover where he was in a polo neck with tennis balls, with all, tennis around balls all around him. And all the discussion was, oh, I hope, it wasn't, 
I hope this he this doesn't distract him from his tennis. It was oh, I hope he um, doesn't have his hard edges shaved off. You know, it was just the tone of the discussion around all of that was so completely different, and and I it just it just makes me uncomfortable. Not that there isn't a valid concern there, you know. But I just I don't trust the world with that concern because it's so much much misogyny tied into it. Yeah, they gendered. Yeah, and I think Paula Badosa has spoken in the Spanish press about that this year. You know, she's been criticised for Mm. magazine covers and whatever, and she says, yeah, well, Carlos Alcaraz is doing it as well, Mm. and you know, that hasn't been mentioned as a reason for Carlos Alcaraz's dip in results over the last few months. It hasn't been mentioned for Matteo Berrettini now he's in his Hugo Boss underwear that he's not winning yeah, quite Matteo so Berrettini's a model on the side yeah. he's not just doing tennis endorsements yeah. he is an actual Hugo Boss non-tennis model when was the last time you heard anybody talking about all the distractions in his in his life it, it's always referenced it. as a positive isn't it mm. um, just generally you mentioned Medvedev mm. and also Nadal they were they were both into the, the, the interview room on Friday what 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 were they like to speak to Catherine Medvedev was great he is always great in press conferences we thought after that slightly weird Wimbledon press day we were trying to put our finger on everything that that felt a bit odd about it and I do think we missed Medvedev that day he, he lights up a media day um, I didn't there was any any one massively notable thing he was just you know charming and interesting and engaging he did um, I asked him about what he wanted from the New York crowd this year because obviously his relationship with crowds and booing has been an endless journey journey <laughs> um, and here He's always really liked the antagonistic relationship with the New York crowd and used it as fuel. Uh, but, of course, in Australia this year, it felt different to him. And I I, I share his reading of that booing. Um, and so, you know, I I kind of wanted to know, has, your, has Australia this year and that speech he gave in the press conference afterwards about his inner child... Um, and his disillusionment has that changed your view on booing or are you still okay with New Yorkers booing do you want them to boo you um, and he didn't quite answer that question but he he did he talked about his relationship with the New York crowd and he talked about that 2019 run and first of all he was so um, self-aware about the nature of that booing, he said they were booing me for a reason. He basically said I was a, I, I was a toe rag. <laughs> and I think that, that was year. his problem with the Australian Open exactly. this year. He didn't think no. that he deserved it. I did yeah. nothing wrong. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think he's right. But you know, he said, look, they booed me for a reason. Yeah. Um, and I, I get that. You know, I'm a I'm a straightforward straightforward guy. I can accept that. Um, but then he just sort of did a deep dive on that 2019 run to the final and he said every single me- you know I'd asked him about last year and about 2019 so he had the opportunity to talk about last year and and winning the title winning his first grand slam which is obviously special to him but he chose to talk about 2019 and he said every single memory from that year gives me goosebumps um, and he talked about being how genuine and honest he likes to be with crowds he said it's not 
it's not hard to win over crowds if you're prepared to be fake. He said, you just go through the motions, you tell them all they're your favourite crowd in the world, and it's your favourite place to come. <laughs> Boom, done, they love you. Uh, he said, but I'm not prepared to do that. And I, I think that's, you know, why they boo me, but why they also appreciate me. And um, I don't know, that line about those memories from 2019 and this it, it ties into to the Jimmy Connors show we did and that incredible line from Mary Carrillo about he, he got what we all want which is one more time you, you only get one first time it's only fresh once and that 2019 was it for Daniil Medvedev and you can create lots of other cool memories but they'll never be like that one um, and I think that's relevant to, to Emma Raducanu. That's something she's going to have to work through. That even if she does win win more slams, it'll never feel like it did last no, year. No, um, it's, it's and true. Jimmy Connor, just to just to plug our uh, tennis relived show about Jimmy Connor's 1991 run to the um, semi-finals as a 38 slash 39 year old, available to friends of the tennis podcast. Um, he created something new. He made he made something new at the age of thirty eight slash thirty nine, um, and I think Pretty that's cool. yeah. I think you know even Daniil Medvedev at twenty five, you know, would would give a lot for that now. Yeah. I think just the look in his eye when he was talking about twenty nineteen really told you something. Yeah, tell, tell us about Nadal, um, Matt. What uh, what did you make of his demeanor and the things he said? Well, I've heard him be a lot less positive, I think, on the eve of a Grand Slam tournament. And he's probably gone on to then win that Grand Slam tournament. You know, he, he does play down his chances quite a lot. He is quite sort of careful and cautious with how he talks about his own game. Um, obviously, the big question is the injury. You know, has it properly healed? And uh, Russell Fuller of the BBC asked him, are you practising with the same intensity that you would normally practice with on the eve of a Grand Slam? It was a great question, wasn't it? It was. And he said, yes, apart from the serve. He said he is still taking care, was his expression, with the serve. He's got a scar there. He's not quite, you know, I think he's, he's worried about re-injuring it and he's not quite got the flexibility there. So he is taking care with that serve. But then it kind of, I can't remember whether it was in the same answer or just a bit later in the press conference, he said, my practice was good. And he had a real glint in his eye and a real mm. smile and... I do think he's, he's probably quite pleased with how things have gone in the last week. I sort of got that impression. It's just such a hard one with Nadal because every single Grand Slam match he's played this year has felt a little bit precarious. You know, you go back to Australia and the foot and the fact he hadn't played for so long and he got heat stroke in the match against Shapovalov. He was on the brink the whole time. He won the title. French Open, zombie foot, he won the title. <laughs> Wimbledon... He hadn't played, you know, we didn't know whether the radio ablation therapy had, had worked, all that, you know, it, it, it was, we knew it had worked enough to get him to Wimbledon, but would, how long would it last? And then he got the tear in his ab, and yet he hasn't lost a match at a Grand Slam this year. And putting those two things together, how precarious it's felt, but how dominant he's been, it's just a kind of tough thing to get together in your mind. But I think Catherine and I both walked away from that press conference thinking... Yeah, Nadal's probably our guy for this mm-hmm. for wow. this tournament. Well, that's really interesting. 
Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. So, whilst you were chatting away to Rafael Nadal, I had ducked out to court number 11 for quite quite a saga I have to say because if you haven't listened to our Tracy Austin story go and listen to it if you're a friend of the tennis podcast it's available for you right now if you're not a friend it's it's one of the reasons I think that it's worth signing up because we found out lots more about Tracy Austin who won this title age 16 in 1979 and and her incredible but short career and at the end of the the interview that we did she said you know and I still love tennis and I'm 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 going to be at Flushy Meadows in a couple of days time because my son Brandon is in qualifying and I kind of vaguely knew that she'd got a son that played but I did not know he was in qualifying um and so we've kind of been chronicling or or uh, following his results on the on the the scoring app to see how he got on and he won through uh, the first round in three sets he won through his second round in three sets and here he is in the final round of qualifying and it was eventful let me tell you I stood there I mean qualifying is amazing here at the US Open I think it is in my, at all of the slams but here I took the time to stand between two courts, one where Norbert Gombosch is having the career moment of his life in getting through qualifying, and, he, and it's, you know, the crowd, the little crowd supporting him are going, going wild. And on the other side, a really big growing crowd is supporting Brandon Holtz, this 24-year-old who's Tracy Austin's son. Tracy is up in the, the crowd, and he had two rain delays to overcome both of which completely drenched me uh, and I had to come inside to, to dry off but the second of them it started raining when Brandon Holt was on his fourth match point 
and he had to come off whilst holding match point. And, and at that same time, the tournament organisers, led by Stacey Allister, the tournament director, and Eric Boutrak, who's high up here as well, they were standing there, they came up, stood next to me, holding a, a, a tennis ball, a used tennis ball in a glass case. And I said, guys, what, what's that for? And they said, it's a new initiative this year. We're, we're presenting all the main draw qualifiers with a ball that they used in the first set of balls of their match before the first changeover of, of, of balls after seven games and nine games and um, and they'd also got a photo of Brandon from the match and yet here he's standing at match point and suddenly everybody's running for cover there's thunder going <laughs> off there's lightning um, we come back out and we were recording 1991 relived inside the media centre at the time watching on the screen and, and it took him two more match points to get over the line sixth match point and Catherine the scenes with him and Tracy Austin were so arresting so emotional weren't they she was stood in the crowd and she didn't try and hide how she felt at all oh long time listeners of the tennis podcast will know that i can't my one of my emotional triggers is people losing with their parents watching or winning with their parents watching different different type of tears for me depending on the scenario so him Winning with, I think both his parents were there yes. actually, um, but obviously it was Tracy Austin that we were focusing on, and oh, it it really got me, yeah, it really really got me how bursting with pride she was, and it really summed up qualifying, I suppose, that qualifying for a grand, you know, he was a wild card into qualifying, just playing it, just winning a round was a was more than his ranking determined that that he should do qualifying for a grand slam can feel like winning a grand slam for for these players you know the the, the bar is at a different level and oh i i loved how much it meant to to both of them and it it really got me and now he's playing he's been drawn to face taylor fritz in the first round whose mum was also a wta tour player and matt they played doubles together yeah, that's right. A uh, friend of the pod, Emmett, alerted me to this. That yeah, Taylor Fritz, Brandon Holt playing the first round. Their mothers, um, Kathy May and Tracy Austin, played doubles together for two consecutive U.S. Opens in the late 1970s, losing to Pam Shriver and a partner in one run, and defeating Mary Carrillo and a partner in the other. And wow. it, it's all it's it's got me thinking of of the line that Mary gave us in the Tracy Austin relive show heirloom sport just quickly while we're on the subject of taylor fritz as well i know we're running out of time but he was somebody that was very outspoken on media day in opposition to the coaching rule that's been introduced at this year's us open obviously we've seen we've seen it on the atp tour in the lead-up tournaments that this courtside coaching is allowed and there's this tremendous gray area over exactly what is allowed because it seems that you can only have share a few words with your coach you can't have a conversation now few and conversation is not clearly defined so it's just extremely open for drama I think and I'd be surprised if we don't see that drama over the course of this fortnight sometime but Stefano Sitsipas had come into to press first and he's obviously tremendously in favour of this his take is it's 
it, it's always happening. It has always been happening. He says every single player on tour receives on-court coaching. It's just his team have been traditionally less discreet about it than other teams. <laughs> um, so he's very much in, in favour of this. Taylor Fritz hates it. And I cannot stress that strongly enough. Mild-mannered, laid-back, drawly Californian Taylor Fritz that sounds like he couldn't possibly get worked up about anything hates on-court coaching so much. It should not be part of our sport, he says. He said the tool was... He felt the tool was bullied into allowing it. He said... And he's right here. The, the, the reasons they've given for allowing it are that basically... It, it's become impossible to police so why not make a feature of it rather than have it happen in the shadows he says it is not true that everybody is doing it he says there is a distinction between encouragement and coaching he says he has not ever received coaching from the stands he said yeah they'll shout you know great shot nice one keep it up but that is different to, to being told where to serve or to serve and volley more or to play to the backhand more. And he thinks if there was a commitment to policing it, it's possible. It's just mm. that commitment was waning. Um, and he could not take more issue with the logic of, of Stefanos Tsitsipas um, and other players over this. And it was really interesting. Yeah, that is. I didn't know that, how he felt about that. Um, yeah, so... Fritz against Holt will be a match that, that's coming up in the next couple of days. And just on Holt as a final point, um, I mean, I, I watched quite a lot of his tennis because I'd never seen him play before. So it was fascinating to watch courtside. And, you know, I know it's, it's maybe too easy to compare his strokes to Tracy Austin's, but there was a sort of control about the way he played. It wasn't all violent ball striking for, for just blistering winners. That He seemed to have a lovely languid style. Everything was under his control and I thought, God, what a good temperament he's got for a tennis player. And, and I can't believe that his mother isn't a factor in that because she, in the matches we watched back and all the accounts that we heard in Tennis Relived, she had the most incredible temperament. She just didn't panic. She didn't get too uptight. And she just, it was all within her. Um, and just one, one of the story about, about him that I read in New York Times from David Waldstein struck me because he's had a really tough time as Brandon Holt the last year and his career was in doubt he had a hand problem for 10 months that he was really worried would end his career he said I've had every known medical science test that is available they couldn't find out what was causing the pain then a doctor recommended ruling out something more serious and found a benign tumor nestled among the tendons and bones of my hand so basically his, his future is in the hands of a doctor operating on him to remove that tumour, which they successfully did, and he hasn't had a problem since. So, phew, I'm glad for him that, mm. that it's worked out, and uh, he seems like a lovely lad. And Catherine, you're like this. The second rain delay, he went to sleep during the whole thing, and he was worried that he might not wake up in time for the resumption of the match and get defaulted. Napping works, kids. <laughs> <laughs> uh, any other qualifying stories, Matt, before we finish that took your eye? Yeah, a few actually. Um, did you know before this tournament, no Chinese man had ever played the US Open main draw wow. uh, in wow. the Open era? And didn't. suddenly there's two of them because Wu Yi Bing, who was the 2017 boys champion here, is through and Zhang Zizhen is also through. So two of them into the main draw. Um, 
I have to mention Federico Delbonis is trolling me by qualifying. Um, after I threw him under the bus, he's coming for the title. After I said I would be gobsmacked if he won it. <laughs> Fair play, he's Federico. Yeah. That was in comparison to me saying Taylor Fritz would gobsmack me if yes. he won it, right? Yes, Delbonis you, you was, was my level of gobsmack. Yeah. Um, in the women, uh, two Czech Lindas qualified. Linda Noskova and Linda Fruvertova both made it through. Um, and I think they're, they're very exciting uh, talents. Um, Fernanda Contreras Gomez of Mexico has qualified for three slams in a row. And she's notable for lots of reasons. One, uh, she obtained a degree in mechanical engineering in the US and wrote a novel during the pandemic. And she's also got a one-handed backhand, the rarely seen one-handed backhand on, on the WTA Tour, which meant there were two one-handed backhand qualifiers from the women's draw because Victoria Golubic of backhand list fame <laughs> having to play qualifying this year, and she also made it through. Um, and we also had Leolia Jean-Jean, who we heard about a lot at Roland Garros, beat Carolina Pliskova there, made the third round hugely talented junior who had her career really in doubt because of a knee injury she's she's qualified here as well um daria sneeger who is the 2019 wimbledon junior champion she's from ukraine she's had to relocate to warsaw she's talked about you know how she dreams of returning to kiev one day she's made it through she faces simona halep in the first round and saving saving the best till last Victoria Kozmova, <laughs> out on court seven, <laughs> qualified quietly, efficiently into the main draw. Saras Ribes Tormo in round one. And that was there. And I was there. <laughs> well done, Victoria. Four years on since picking her for big things at the 2018 Australian Open, I think it was. Well, her, her ranking's now such that qualifying for a Grand Slam is a big thing. Yeah. So you could say... I was right all along. <laughs> so uh, the main draw starts tomorrow as we come to you. 12 o'clock on Ash. Daniel Medvedev against Stefan Kozlov. Then it is Jean-Jean that Matt has just referenced up against Coco Goff. Uh, there is in the evening session Serena Williams against Anka Kovanic. Then Nick Kyrgios against Tanasi Kokonakis. On Louis Armstrong Arena it is going to be Francisco Sarundolo against Andy Murray. First up 11 o'clock local time. That's 4pm in the UK. Catherine will be presenting Amazon Prime video so you can watch her with build, build up from 3.30 oh yeah that's when I'm going to be turning on anyway uh, and Simona Halep is going to be in action as is Madison Keys against Diana Yastremska and Stefanos Tsitsipas in action in the evening session there uh, with Leila Fernandez up against Ocean Dordan there's loads of other matches as well I can't run you for them all uh, they're all there on the US Open website I'm just going to mark people's cards about Andrescu Bianca Andrescu against Harmony Tan on Grandstand Big. tomorrow Yes, please. Big yes, please. Oh, that and um, I've got Andrescu on the brain because I got briefly distracted during this podcast by some possibly the best ever Coco content. Oh, yeah. Um, really? On Andrescu's Instagram. That's a in- high bar. Instagram. I know what the best Coco content well, is. Well, it's, 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 is it myself and Coco? Say, you're in it. <laughs> <laughs> Catherine and Coco um, the dog. It look, and the look, parents. Look. look. Oh, it's a video. Oh, I've now just got a video of, I think, Emma Raducanu playing tennis. Oh, OK. <laughs> <laughs> Instagram has failed us. Um, <laughs> it, it's Bianca Andrescu on a bed, feeding Coco a chew. It's, it's just a lot of 
lot of cocoa, being cute. Fine. I've also got my eye tomorrow on Pablo Carreño Buster Dominic team. Oh, yes. On court 17. This is, I mean, Dominic team didn't play last year. Mm. This is his first match since winning the title. Yeah. It's like his and Simona he's out Hallett on court 17 moment. being a heavy underdog. Is it, isn't 17 one of the good it's, it's better than it sounds it's and it's a nice call it's like four it's like it's like a mini courts, grandstand it? yeah. it's a little bit sunken it's lovely but i know what you mean though it makes me feel slightly better about Raducanu, maybe mm. um but uh, yeah it's that'd be a heck of a thing to go and watch i hope team can find some form because he's having a mm. he's having a rough time yeah. isn't he we've also got uh ons jabur madison brengel which i think could be fun and i just think Public Gaston just sounds ridiculous. <laughs> Where's that going to gonna be? I don't know. We're finding that. <laughs> We're going to go and be courtside for that. Okay, well, that's all coming up tomorrow. We'll have nightly editions of the tennis podcast to tell you what goes on and uh, what we've seen, what we've heard, and we'll be doing that throughout the tournament. We'll have our newsletter for you on a daily basis as well, which will have Matt's stat in it. We'll have our predictions for each day. Um, so make sure you sign up to that. Uh, the link to sign up if you want to receive it is in our show notes. You can become a friend of the tennis podcast and get access to those two tennis relived shows, all about Tracy Austin and Jimmy Connors run in 1991 plus loads of other shows that we've done over the course of the year and it's friends of the tennis podcast that have brought us here uh, certainly Matt and I in terms of funding our trips and it, it's not exactly cheap out here in New York but we're loving every minute of it um, and uh, yeah, there's, there's just so much to look forward to over the next couple of weeks. Don't forget as well, if you are a friend of the Tennis Podcast or if you want to become one, that competition for the AO Travel Package, it's open to friends when you sign up. Link to do so is in our show notes, and we'll send you the link to enter that competition. And you could be going to the Australian Open in 2023 in January. US Open mascot, Matt, we've got one. Who is it? It is the magnificent and fabulous Phoebe. And Phoebe is a corgi owned by Priyanka. And Phoebe, I think um, knowledgeable tennis podcast pets followers will recognise Phoebe because Phoebe was our mascot at Roland Garros last year and now is getting, getting her home slam. So it's great. I never forget a corgi. <laughs> Phoebe is etched on my brain. A, a tricolour corgi. Mm. Lovely. lovely lovely dog sure is and you'll be seeing a picture of phoebe in our newsletter as well we've got our own mascots i've got darwin catherine's got carter matt has got the dearly departed gerald and matt has had a good week in the predictions who have you picked ludmilla samsonova winning winning in cleveland 95 points in the bag extending she's on a 10 match winning streak all right and matt's on a 28 predictions winning streak he's <laughs> flying ahead of the both of us uh billy jean is sponsored by billy jean king and alana class chris albert lee and carl wangartner are our executive producers and top blokes and we've got shout outs and that to finish we have lynn in glasgow right lynn lynn i was lynn. waiting for you to do that i've pierced my foot on a spike <laughs> uh, lynn Thank you so so much for being our friend. Thank you, Lynn. If you're not an Alan Partridge fan, I apologise for ruining your shout-out. <laughs> Who else we got? We, like, like Linda Noskova slash Fruvitova. That's a bit of a stretch, isn't it? <laughs> well, I, I thought I'd throw Lynn a bone just in case she's not an Alan Partridge fan. Anyway, thank you, Lynn. Yeah. We've also got Kathleen Sharkey who is in South Hadley, Massachusetts. Ooh. Wow. 
eastern seaboard ish uh hello kathleen i would say kathleen's are just outside the church the catherine church yeah they're in the graveyard (laughs) oh my word that's what's just outside the church um in the car park yeah car park we'll go with car park but kathleen (laughs) we couldn't be more happy to have you as our friend (laughs) hello kathleen thank you and final one today is Hannah Dunning, who is from Wimbledon, but currently living in Oakland, California. Oh, home of the Oakland Raiders. Yeah. How did you know that? Just just came to me. <laughs> <laughs> Hannah, thank you. Uh, and this feels like a good time to mention our Hannah. Yes, it does. We like Hannah's. Yes, that's right. Because on our Twitter, at Tennis Podcast, Hannah Wilkes will be back. And she'll be bringing you the the very best from inside her extraordinarily wonderful mind uh, with all of her thoughts about what's going on in the tennis, keeping you up to date. So follow us on Twitter if you're not already at, at Tennis Podcast. Yeah, just tell your friends about the show. Um, hope you enjoy a wonderful US Open wherever you're watching it, whether you're on site or not. If you do, are here and you see us around, give us a shout. Um, and yeah, we, we can't wait for the event to get started and we will be talking to you every single night. See you soon. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.